step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today is Dr. Penny Walters for a discussion about the psychology of searching. Dr. Walters has been a university lecturer for 30 years in psychology and business studies. Penny's interest in genealogy started after having her first child and then wondering about her biological parents as she was adopted. DNA testing has revealed 94% Irish heritage and fascinating insights into her children's heritage. Penny lectures internationally in person, presents webinars and writes articles about a variety of genealogy topics, and many of you may have had an opportunity to listen to her lectures at Roots Tech Connect. So let me just give a warm welcome to Dr. Penny Walters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Penny. Oh, thank you so much. I was really excited and looking forward to this. Um, thanks, Bernice. Thank you. Well, I, I was looking forward to it also because obviously genealogists, family historians, and then people who don't call themselves either are in the search process. So let's talk about that. Why, how did you get into just talking about the psychology of searching? Okay, well... Um, my mum was um, an absolute mine of information about the family tree, and I thought that this was quite normal, really, that um, your mum and dad would tell you stuff. Um, and obviously, I had my grandparents, so I had connections with parents and grandparents. And when my parents passed away, I got the traditional box of stuff under the bed, which was packed with photos, which my mum 
jokingly had put dots on the back of every photo and said who they were and what their relationship and what the party was. And even a lot of my dad's war memorabilia and some romantic um, memorabilia between them as well. However, um, whilst I was overjoyed with having all of that information, actually I'm adopted. So although I've had a really happy, if not um, privileged upbringing, because I was an only child um, and I had a lot of fuss and attention and was treated like a princess, um, my interest in my biological family started after I had my first baby. So up until I gave birth, I had considered myself privileged with a loving family and the usual um, you know, network of people, um, but I didn't have any brothers or sisters. So when I was laying on the hospital bed, um, as you do, covered in blood and um, feeling all that pain, um, I couldn't get over how beautiful this little creature was. Looking back at photos now, she looked a bit like E.T., but <laughs> at the time she was beautiful. And um, I was looking at those little fingernails and little eyelashes, and I just couldn't believe that this human being had come out of me and then within seconds I then started thinking did my biological mother lay on a hospital bed thinking that I was beautiful um, that I'd got little fingernails and cute eyelashes and a little button nose so that's how my search process started or it was named as searching in that sense because up until then I hadn't had to search because I'd got my small family around me. Um, yeah, so that was how the ecology of searching arose. And also, um, my mum was quite um, sickly in her middle age and had to go under with um, psychometric tests. So they were trying to find the root of this illness, which didn't seem to be a medical illness. It seemed they were suggesting to be a psychological illness. So I didn't understand that. And I did psychology at college, and then I did psychology at university. Um, and therefore, I've always been interested in philosophy and psychology and ethical dilemmas since a teenager, really. So uh, when you're talking about psychology of searching, I mean, you're talking about behaviors. So exactly what are those behaviors that that would even push a person to search other than the fact that you, you mentioned being an adoptee and looking at this beautiful little baby and then thinking. Uh, yeah. But what what are the dynamics of the search process? Well, sometimes it's um, a simple question of asking your parents, or asking your elderly grandma or a favorite auntie. But quite often, um, people are fragmented from families as well. So for me, I was fragmented because um, of having been adopted. So other people are fragmented for a variety of reasons. And I think that DNA testing has a lot of people into searching. And the marketing hook is to discover your ethnicity and also to discover who you are. So the DNA testing has merged ethnicity with finding out who you are. So in that sense, 
when I got my DNA test back, it was um, 94% Irish. Well, as an English lady, I've never even been to Ireland. So for a couple of things, one was the adoption issue and one was I'm very English. Um, to find that I've got an ethnicity, let alone Irish, um, was really very exciting for me. So when I found this 94% Irish ethnicity, um, I've got six mixed race children. And my eldest daughter said to me, um, oh, if you've come back as 94% Irish, um, will I be half of your Irish? And will this reveal um, how black I am? So I said, well, I don't know. You're obviously mixing me up with some kind of expert in DNA testing, but I've got no idea. Um, and my granddaughter, who is my daughter's daughter, um, said, Granny, um, because she's got Chinese eyes. So she said to me, will a DNA test explain why I've got Chinese eyes? So I said, Listen, I've got no idea. <laughs> so we waited for the DNA test to come back. And my children's grandparents um, are from Jamaica. And during the 1960s, Jamaican people were invited to the UK to help with the rebuilding after World War II. So my daughter um, was then expecting Irish ethnicity and Jamaican ethnicity. And my granddaughter was eagerly awaiting why did she have this certain look about her eyes? So when my daughter's DNA test came back, it came back as um, about two-thirds of my Irish ethnicity, but came back as Nigerian. So my children were basically saying, oh, this is a load of nonsense because um, where does Nigerian come into anything? And then when my granddaughter's DNA came back, she had also got some of my Irish some Nigerian DNA, and again, no Jamaican, um, but did have some Asian. So when we thought this process through, what has been revealed is that their Jamaican grandfather is descended from enslaved Nigerian people. So partly that was really informative, but partly it was really very upsetting because I think that during um, the generations that um, slavery does feel as though it was many generations ago, in the distant past maybe, when in actual fact, when we've put it onto um, a tree, um, this is five or six generations ago. So my children found that whilst they have really enjoyed their Jamaican heritage, they are now able to embrace their Nigerian DNA. And actually, those Nigerian people are completely hidden from the records. And whilst they might be revealed through some physical coloring, the Nigerian aspect is completely lost because it's been taken into with um, Jamaica. Also, while I am running around telling people, oh, I'm English, but I've got Irish DNA, um, it wasn't that my Irish ancestors moved to South Wales, who then moved to England. They were diaspora from a famine. 
So some of these are hidden, hideous stories. So enslavement, famine, war. These are hideous stories um, which DNA testing has given us, you could argue, a golden opportunity to remember what is becoming lost ancestors. Right. And what you're saying, though, is that there's a historical context of which when you do find what your ethnicity is, you also have to put it into context as to what was happening during that period of time so that that mixture is now there, but you have to figure out what's going on. But that's one piece of, of your searching process, and that is the piece where you're wondering, who am I from um, – from your ethnicity point of view, but what about the other part of your searching? Who am I? Where did I come from? What are some of the challenges in searching for your ancestors as well as living relatives when it comes to the psychology of searching? Yeah, so that's um, an interesting question. Um, basically, I think there's quite a bit of a difference between wanting to search for ancestors to give you a context to your narrative. So I didn't have a narrative. Um, and you might want to argue that if you haven't got a narrative, you haven't got an identity. So society had given me my identity. Society gave me the school I went to. Society gave me my friends and my small family. Um, gave me my um, kinship. So finding a wider family has opened up different opportunities and has informed my narrative. So I've now got um, diaspora from a famine in my ancestry. And therefore, I've added that to my story with, for example, adversity. So I now know that my ancestors overcame hideous, terrible, terrible adversity whilst starving to death, had to um, get on a ferry or a boat to South Wales to look for work. And people were dying on those boats. And then they would arrive, presumably, in a hideous position with terrible clothes and starving to death and then have to somehow pluck up courage to look for work, which in the, the days of the Irish famine was working in coal mines. Well, that was 12-hour days of physical labor. So um, what I have enjoyed about that terrible story is that I have gained some prestige and feel proud of those ancestors in, in that sense. Um, so, yeah, when we're looking for living relatives, I think that the psychology involved there is really very, very different. So when we um, were chatting just before the show, um, you asked me, how did I enjoy Roots Tech? Well, I'm a very chatty, bubbly person. And even though I've got six children, um, I've been in lockdown for a year. So the city that I live in is um, locked down and has been in a very high tier. So I've basically only left the building to go to the supermarket three times in the last year, gone to get petrol or gas. So um, in that sense, 
whilst I've got my six children and my six grandchildren, I am actually sitting in my house pretty lonely. So um, I think that the psychology of searching gives you relatives. And while I've had no full or half siblings that I was aware of, um, and only one or two cousins who I'm not biologically related to, I think that um, searching for living relatives has opened up quite a lot of opportunities for me because I have now had um, really, really fascinating relationships developing with third and fourth cousins. So if I went to a party with my children, not that I have left the house for a year, but um, if I went to a party with my children, I would say, this is my daughter, this is my son, this is my grandchild. Um, I haven't got any cousins that I'm um, connected with. So would I go to a party and say, um, oh, this is Bernice, she's my third cousin or my eighth cousin nine times removed. So when does the link between relatives that you have a relationship with and clutching at straws, um, where does it stop and where does it end? Because I've got really fond of these third and fourth cousins now. Um, one lives in um, Australia and two live in America. So I've now become fond of them. Well, what is a fourth cousin? What does it even mean? And why would you get fond of somebody that you're only emailing? So we've engaged in a couple of Zoom calls um, recently which has been really really exciting and I've been like oh I'm so excited um, I'm going to meet this relative but so the psychology of searching is asking as well with living relatives what's the cutoff point between it's a relative and stop being silly Penny you know what's your thoughts Penny yeah well you know one of the things and and I'm listening to you but we also have to talk about the opportunity to bond and form a relate. It's a relative, and then there's a relationship. And I'm seeing the difference because, yes, I have thousands of relatives by way of DNA. But when it comes to me bonding with some of those individuals, some of them we haven't even figured out how we're related to each other. But we are. We feel like we are definitely cousins, and we have a relationship. And there's joy in trying to figure it out because we're on, we're on this common journey. And, and we recognize that being on this common journey, it's, it is giving us a sense of who we are as people. And it, it does, I think it does help to even try to, if you can, form a relationship. Now, Penny, I have heard individuals say, I have enough relatives. I don't need any more relatives. I don't even want to talk to these people. I just want to know what to put on my <laughs> my family tree. But what about some of those secrets that may come out? You mentioned DNA in the very beginning. But what about family secrets coming out through DNA as well as records? And what do you do with that? And I'm going kind of to your ethical dilemmas in genealogy for a minute to talk about some of those dilemmas that people may come up against. Well, that's fascinating that you've linked the two because to me, 
um, philosophy is all about asking questions. Psychology is trying to answer them. But as you've said, um, within psychology, ethical dilemmas develop. So I wake up every morning, now that I'm a bit bigger and a bit older, I wake up every morning and I look in the mirror and I think, come on, Penny, try and be a good person today. And um, smiling back at me is a really nice person, I'm hoping, because hopefully I've achieved some wisdom over the years. So um, whilst I think I'm a really nice person and all my um, best friends think I'm a really nice person and my colleagues think I'm a really nice person, actually, I'm somebody's secret and if not lie. So um, I'm, I could ask, um, if my biological mother king a tree, where would I go? Would I even be there? Um, if you said to my biological mother, how many children have you got? What would her answer be? Um, oh, so, you know, I said to you, Bernice, so how many kids have you got? And you said to me, how many kids have you got? So what happens with the adopted baby? Do you say I've got six or seven or two? So um, while I do think I am a very pleasant person, I could quickly crop up in somebody's DNA test as a half sibling or a cousin or a niece. If I cropped up as a biological daughter, I think that would give me an indication that my biological mother had been looking for me. So if my biological mother had done a DNA test, I think it would give me a hidden message that she was looking for me. But if I am matching as half sibling, that could be a hideous shock for somebody. And first cousin, you've still got some questions to answer. So at the moment, I've only got third and fourth cousins, but it might be that at some stage I crop up as one of these new relationships. And therefore, um, the only thing that I can do, because there aren't any rights and wrongs with ethics, the only thing that I can do is to look at my relationships with people with some goodness in my heart because um, I haven't got any malice or forethought in me to um, have any sinister connections with people. So the only reason in the world that I've got my tree online and that I've done DNA tests and so have my children and my grandchildren with permission um, is for altruistic reasons. Yeah. So there are many ethical dilemmas. Um, people could have been conceived through incest or bigamy or not consensual um, um, conception. So in that sense, some people have got some um, smack in the face realities. Some people have got things that it was hinted at. So, um, you know, some people have got things in their DNA that there's hints over the years that have been going on with that. Right. What's and your opinion, Bernice? Right. And sometimes, I mean, let's just look at what we have now that maybe 15 years ago we didn't have, and that's social media. Yeah. And so you have some pluses and you have some minuses with social media. But what recommendations would you offer to individuals that are in the search process and they choose to search through social media? Well, 
the problem with social media is that for some people it's like an online diary and you have got every account of every movement and many many personal photos so um i am in some forums where people have got a dna test back and they've put it in the forum i got my dna test back this morning i've contacted my biological mother on Facebook, she's so rude, she hasn't even replied. And I can't even catch my breath, you know. So um, what you need to always do, always with ethical dilemmas, is to put yourself in the other person's position for five minutes, if not 15 minutes, if not a year, you know. So I would never contact somebody on social media in a fragmented relationship but I might voyeuristically look at their photos. So um, I think all of us have had a look at other people's photos. Um, we might even do that ethical dilemma of taking a photo. So whilst I am very cross when people steal my photo from my online tree, um, maybe sometimes um, I have uh, snatched photos from online trees. So I think sometimes with ethical dilemmas, we aren't a paragon of virtue. So um, I'm not perfect, and I feel a bit cross if people take my photos, but the odd few that I've taken, um, I thought, oh, it's fine, Penny. You know, It's like when you go over the speeding limit um, and you think, oh, I'm in a hurry. You know, So we've got that cognitive dissonance. But um, there's, I think that if you are searching for um, or you find third and fourth cousins, Maybe you could contact them on social media. But I think that email is slightly slower. And I think that very elderly folk um, might appreciate a phone call or a letter before a social media approach. But um, the fine line is that sometimes you can spend so long crafting the perfect phone call and the perfect email and the perfect letter that sometimes you go off the boil and you don't contact the person or tragically, and I've heard this so many times, the person passed away a few weeks ago or a few months ago. So I think, so, um, I think that you should take some time over who you're contacting, but not so much time that it, it's two years and it's, it, it, the moment has passed, you know. Um, sometimes people might want to have an intermediary. So I'm very excitable and talk too much and talk too fast. So if I found my biological father's phone number, I would ring up, hi, I'm Penny. You know, I'd be all squealy uh -huh. and excited. Um, so he might be very, very elderly and his wife might be with him. So you have to think very, very carefully about the age the type of person that you're contacting, um, what your personality is. And there isn't the ideal solution, but I would always tell people to just take a step back, really, because my first DNA matches, I did send very squealy emails, you know, hi, I'm Penny, and I'm adopted. And, you know, um, the person would have just not been able to catch their breath with this silly email. So I think that um, taking some time over your first contact, but also how far you go in that relationship. Because while I have made DNA matches, I have revealed 
so much of my personal information because this is a DNA match. But the reality is they're a stranger. Um, so I tell them how many children I've got, what city I live in. Um, we start talking about things that we like and things that we don't like. Um, I might say, I can't chat now. I have to go to work, which reveals that I've left the building or I'm going on holiday for two weeks to somewhere. So my house is, um, um, you know, open. So um, sometimes with DNA matches, we are spilling far too many beans. But then again, we want to collaborate. Right. And but you're you're saying though, be cautious. Maybe Very, don't yeah. be so so willing to give a lot of information at the first two uh, two encounters, but take yeah. time to learn about that person and also to learn about yourself and yeah. what you need and what you want. Now, I'm just going to ask you a couple of more questions. Uh, first of all, and I think it's going back to something you said earlier, but do you think searching for ancestors heals fragmentation? Um, in my personal circumstance, it did, because although I've had a very happy upbringing with two parents that treated me like a princess, and I have a good relationship with my six children and my six grandchildren I do feel inherently lonely as a person that was um, adopted and therefore I have been looking for something could argue that a bit of me is broken or cracked or chipped or stained or whatever so whilst I haven't had um, as much joy connecting with um, biological immediate family I have had the greatest joy contextualizing my Irish ethnicity with my South Wales ancestors working 12-hour days in coal mines to the person that I've become today. So for me, it, it hasn't healed any wounds because sometimes we still pick our scabs, but I have really, really enhanced my identity with this. So for me personally, it's really enhanced my identity. Um, for other people, some painful things can't be um, covered over. So if you find incest or rape or murder or enslavement or war in your family, it might not necessarily heal you, but it does make you have more pieces in your jigsaw mm -hmm. so you have got more confidence so for my children to enjoy their grandparents Jamaican heritage whilst it was painful to look at the Nigerian DNA actually that's completely added to their repertoire and they are now very very interested in um forgotten ancestors because whilst it was six or seven generations ago um, they have still got they are still visibly black British and therefore have got some of the trauma either physically or mentally inside of them and it's made them stronger people being able to answer 
certain questions about their identity. Um, so in that sense, it hasn't healed, definitely um, given you some more medicine in, 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 in that sense. And um, yep, yep. Okay, so we're actually getting close to the end. And I just wanted to know if you have any parting words you would, or words of wisdom that you would like to share with the listeners before we close out today. Um, well, I am 57, and you would think I was wise by now, but um, um, I've always got words of wisdom for my children because um, I'm trying to look after them. But um, I think if people are interested in doing their family trees and doing DNA testing, it's worthwhile asking yourself, am I looking for who they were? In which case you can't change history and you aren't your ancestor's social worker because you might even find some um, perpetrator stories as well. So it's worthwhile reflecting on are you searching for them or are you searching for yourself? But thank you so much for joining me today. And for everyone else, remember, your ancestors left footprints. And you should really think about the whole search process and what you may find. It will be in family records. You may find it coming through your DNA. And, of course, there's always the National Archives. Of course, that's the name of this show. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Thank you so much, Penny, for joining me. And remember, Penny does have two books out, The Ethical Dilemmas in Genealogy and The Psychology of Searching. Thank you so much, Penny. Thank you. I'm really, really grateful to be with you today. Thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.